Step onto the red carpet and be part of a night to remember at our premier movie event. Join us as we launch our never-before-seen movie, Dysphoria. Discover the shocking truths behind the LGBTQ transgender agenda in our powerful new documentary, Dysphoria. This riveting new movie shares the stories of three families, all ambushed by the LGBTQ agenda. Dive into the communist roots of this movement, its impact on schools and the medical field, and the hidden connections with Antifa. As society grapples with the concept of biological reality, we ask, where is the church? Your ticket not only gets you exclusive access to see the film, but also supports our nonprofit filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. Don't miss out on this opportunity to make a difference and enjoy an unforgettable movie night. Tickets available at dysphoriamovie.com or text the word red carpet to 80888. And as a valued listener to the show, use promo code podcast for $50 off at checkout. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we ask tough questions, encourage and inspire grassroots involvement, and pursue truth above all else. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. I don't think so. If you find this podcast helpful, be sure to subscribe and share the show to help us reach more people. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. Uh, and with that, .org. I am so excited today to introduce another cast member, Oops. Pastor Micah Beckwith. Yes. Mm-hmm. There I am with the, what am I doing here? I don't know. That button. There we go. What are you doing? I don't know. Oh, I forgot. I have way too many buttons. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. And now you're today. confused. And I am. You're everyone's problem. I right. am the problem. <clears throat> <clears throat> but before we get to Micah, yes, what's happening? Well, interesting, interesting times we live in here. I just have this one article, and then we've got a whole bunch of audio, yeah, to share. So, you know, we've Good talked stuff. we've talked about Antifa a lot on this program. When you come to see Dysphoria, uh-huh. because you you do need to come to see Dysphoria, you should join us in Noblesville, mm-hmm. the world premiere in Noblesville. How about that? We talk about Antifa quite a bit. Uh-huh. And the history of Antifa. Did you know that fun Antifa's and yeah, fun fact, Antifa's roots go all the way back to 1932. Uh-huh. In Nazi Germany, Antifa is communist. I got to tell you, the more with all three of our last films now, Mm -hmm. Germany is always on the radar from where a lot of this wickedness comes from. It comes from. Yeah. So when you hear the word Antifa, just think of communists. Just think of commie thugs. Uh Okay. That's the easy way to remember it. So, you know who Andy No is? Mm-hmm. His last name is N-G-O. Andy No wrote a book called Unmasked, which, so he... And we've talked about it here on the program before. Yeah. Yeah, we have. So, Andy No, um, he's the most authoritative source that I've found on Antifa. He was embedded basically undercover with Rose City Antifa. Rose City Antifa is Portland. Mm-hmm. They are probably the satanic hub mm-hmm. <laughs> of Antifa, even more than than Antifa in Europe. I think Rose City Antifa. They are just flat out the the core of evil. So, <clears throat> um, 
Antifa during the the George Floyd riots, and there's video of this. All you gotta do is just go to YouTube and and put Andy No A N D Y N G O. Uh, and just put Antifa tries to kill Andy No. Mm-hmm. Right, you'll find because Antifa this this whole generation of these of these commie terrorists that call themselves Antifa. They love to record everything. They live stream this mm-hmm. stuff, right? Well, and what's interesting is what have we found is sort of who makes up Antifa? It, <laughs> the white kids? The white, what we would, what the, the media likes to call yeah. privileged. Yeah, middle, middle, upper middle class and, and what I call upper class, like rich kids. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's not, it's not, it's primarily not. Um, you know, the, the kinds of kids we used to think of as, you know, the kind of the skid row gangbangers, gangbanger thugs. Yeah, that's it's, not it. it's not it. No, these are all, a lot of them are highly educated, mm-hmm. right? They're just, I don't know if some of them are just looking for a thrill or, but they're just radicalized, highly educated. They've, they've got middle America. Yeah. They, yeah. they have the income, I guess, to not have to actually work a job. <clears throat> so, um, they tried to kill Andy No. It was very blatant. They were throwing, um, they were disguising, they were throwing what looked like milkshakes, but in the in the cup was actually concrete, mm. right? So kind of like, is it Culver's that has a concrete mixer? We don't have anything against Culver's, candy just so you know. The, right? This was a true concrete mixer that they were throwing at him. Uh, they actually did brain damage. To him, he was really messed up, and he's not the only one that they've tried to kill. Um, so he sued them or tried to, tried to, and so this is from Infowars court rules Antifa terrorists not guilty in Andy No trial. And this Act- was happening in Portland, Oregon. This is Portland. Activist lawyer declares, quote, I am Antifa, tells jury she, quote, will remember each of their faces. It's not jury. How is how is that not a threat in a court of law? <sighs> it, Who's it, the judge? And I think that's the thing. <clears throat> Who was the judge? And I, I don't know. Um, I don't know why it didn't go to mistrial. Right? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, uh, the uh, activist attorney appeared to intimidate members of the jury. Two Antifa members were on trial for the assault of Andy No, as he documented Antifa violence in Portland in June 2020. So this is three years later. Mm-hmm. He's still trying to get justice because the Portland police didn't do anything about it. <clears throat> During his coverage, footage shows several black-clad masked assailants kicked, punched, and hurled objects at Andy, leaving him with a severe brain injury and in need of medical attention. Uh, 2020, he filed a lawsuit in Portland, Oregon, claiming assault and other injuries by alleged members of Antifa. According to a report by the Post Millennials KV Davis Court, uh, which uh, coincidentally didn't didn't we just read that article last week on the podcast about her um, car getting broken? No, into? we didn't. We oh, were okay. going to save it for this, so I'll talk about her in a second. The only reporter allowed, the only reporter allowed to observe the proceedings, the lawyer for Antifa defendants, John Colin Hacker and Elizabeth Renee Richter. Michelle Burroughs, in her closing statements, told members of the jury she identified as Antifa and claimed her client's violence was justifiable. And let's see, these are Twitter posts. 
Um, yeah. So I'll tell, leave a link to that. No, I'll just, tell, I'll leave a link to that because um, she was there reporting. And when she got back to her car, her car had been vandalized and stripped clean of anything that was in it. Right. You know, she was in from out of town and that's what she was saying. We're, I'm being terrorized <laughs> yeah. by Antifa yeah. for reporting. Uh, yeah. Davis court reports that despite judge, Shan Pone, well, well that's, a, that's a name and a half. Shan Pone Sinlapasai. I'm sure I'm butchering that. Informing the court prior to closing statements that members of the jury had raised concern about, uh, concerns about being doxxed. Explain to people what doxxed means. Well, it just means that they're going to publish like your home address, mm -hmm. your phone numbers, where you work, right, so everything they, online. So they go online and they say, hey, this is this juror's name is such and such. Right. She lives at one, two, three, any town lane. Go and kick her butt. Hey, you know? and this is the same tactic. I know we, we talked about another um, a story that happened decades ago about um, Rialto and how the pornographic bookstores, mm -hmm. they were posting some of the picketers, their home address, their phone numbers oh, yeah. on the marquees. You know, it's the same thing. It's just a different generation, different tactics. Now yeah. it's all online instead of, you know, for the public to see in person. Yeah. Um, amid the trial, Portland State University geography professor Alexander Ross, who proudly proclaimed he quote, identifies as Antifa, also testified as a, quote, expert witness, mm -hmm. claiming Andy No was a far-right rage inducer and provocateur. How many How many of us <clears throat> would be far-right rage oh, inducers? Um, during coverage of the trial, Katie Daviscourt herself became the victim of a targeted attack, quote, after I left the courthouse where I was reporting, on the trial against Antifa, I found that my car was broken into by my hotel. The windows were busted out. Items were stolen. Personal identification documents were taken. Um, and there's pictures of it, of her car, you know, completely trashed. And, you know, condemned the verdict in a statement following the trial, saying, I always knew it would be an uphill battle to win justice for the years of torment and violence I have endured. I still believe that these defendants are affiliated with Antifa and I remain committed to seeking justice, though I'm deeply disappointed in today's verdict. I am considering my legal options. The trial's outcome was taken as a sign that Antifa terrorists are now free to attack journalists at will mm -hmm. with no fear of repercussions from Oregon's corrupt leftist judicial system, with many fearing the exact same jury intimidation scenario could play out as President Donald Trump's indictments had to trial um can you say gotham city oh my word <clears throat> i mean all all of the dark knight movie series mm -hmm. that's that's portland well and the really sad thing is when we were out in washington um collecting an interview with heidi st john and mm -hmm. we drove south and went through just on the major highway oh yeah and drove through <clears throat> and all you see is Tents along the side of the road. Tents and tents, tent cities of homelessness. Yeah, it's it's just a decimated city. I, so I, I think I've told the story before, but I, I had been in Portland at least twenty years ago, mm -hmm. and you know just briefly, and we were we were going in and out of Portland to do a shootout in rural Oregon, and that was. Uh, we were playing pool at a restaurant downtown the night before we were getting on the plane to come back home. And there was this group of girls at the 
table next to us. And one of the guys that I was working with started talking to these girls. We thought they were girls. They were all trannies. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They were all, they were all trannies. Lucky you, huh? <laughs> and they were celebrating this one that, that her, her surgery was a success. And I swear to you, this was the first, I had never even heard of this. We knew what transvestites were. We yeah. knew what crossdressers were. And you, and you could tell right away. No, like I seriously, I wasn't really wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and then he tells me, uh, he's, I see him talking to him and I'm sort of half paying attention. And then I hear her surgery was successful. And I, I must have s- stood there for a good 30, 40 seconds, like my gears turning going, huh? <laughs> huh? You know, processing, processing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Need, needless to say, you left without a date. I, that wasn't why we were there. Oh, <laughs> we were having dinner and, you know, we had been. Well, we he had did, been I mean, in, he left without a date. I don't know why he'd go over. He, I don't know. <laughs> he was, I, he was probably trying to hit on one of them. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can attest that I was not. <laughs> <clears throat> this was a long time ago. This is 25 years ago, probably. Uh-huh. Um, Anyway, so that's that's nuts. So that's what's happening on that down low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have some we have a lot of audio today. So we have an yeah. audio. You want to tell them who this pastor is that you found? Yeah. So it was exciting. So I found somebody shared a clip on social media, and I can't remember who shared it. But anyway, I watched it and shared it to my social media page, mm-hmm. and I just I love passionate. Um speakers and i especially love passionate pastors yeah and this guy i've never i've i've never sat under the teaching of uh, and i don't want to say charismatic but he's he's very uh enthusiastic they're definitely they're definitely on the charismatic side would you say i don't i don't know so anyway so you'll hear the clip but he just gets so revved up and riled up. So I, I did find out a little bit about him because okay. I didn't even know his last name, actually. So it's Miles Rutherford, and he is a highly respected and influential figure in the realm of pastoral leadership and revivalist ministry. With an unwavering commitment to spreading the transformative power of the gospel, Miles has dedicated his life to igniting the fire of God in the hearts of people across the globe. Together with his wife, Delena, they serve as the founders and pastors of Worship with Wonders Church, an impactful, multicultural, multigenerational spiritual community in the heart of Marietta, Georgia. So... I was excited to, I just saw this, I don't even, it was like a a 60 second clip. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing a little research because I thought, well, I want to see the whole thing. And so Mm -hmm. I found the full, the full sermon, the full message. And so we'll leave a link to it for you guys uh, in the show notes, but just, I mean, this guy's really impactful. Yeah. And I should say, I'll just put this disclaimer out because I know that, because especially Christians are, are, are prone to this. I haven't read their churches doctrinal statement no, right so i don't know, I don't know anything about their church so uh before we launch into you know what well, do you really know who about this guy and his you know, i know he's speaking truth i know he's i know in the <laughs> clip that we're going to share he's speaking truth and i watched the whole sermon and he's speaking truth mm-hmm. do Powerfully. i do i know everything that he believes and preaches no and in this case you know i'm not endorsing him but this is truth and you need to hear it. 
So here we go. This is Pastor Miles. Satan will make everything feel fine. He will make every sin be changed in order to accommodate and not make us feel so convicted. Satan will even change the name of sin. Actually, he will use people to change the names of sin to make sin adaptable to accept. Now, I know why you're not preaching or preaching with me is because some of you are thinking about these things right now that you're struggling with. Can I tell you, God's going to free you from that before the end of this day if you need it. It's not called stealing. It's called liberation. It's not called sin. It's called the grace of God. I can do this. I can do this freely because Jesus paid a price for me to have this grace. But Jesus did, did not die for us to continue to sin. Paul said, forbid not that we continue in this freedom we think is for us to sin. Because the Bible says if we truly love God, we will keep his commandments. That's the Bible. So Satan will change the way we think about sin. He'll change, he'll change the wording so we don't have to change our ways. Instead of pedophilia, we'll call it minor attracted people. Instead of sexual exploitation, let's call it adult entertainment. Come on, let's call it, you know, adult. We ain't going to call it pornography. Let's call it adult entertainment. Instead of sexual cults, we'll call them clubs. Instead of adultery, let's call it swinging and open marriages. Instead of mental illness, let's call it gender dysphoria. Instead of genital mutilation, let's call it gender transitioning. You see how the words begin to change. Instead of fornication, come on, let's call it intimacy. Instead of love, let's call let's call it lust. Instead of calling it a spiritual battle of good and evil, let's call it political. Let's call it a phobia. Let's call it hate speech. Let's call it something else. Instead of drunks, let's call let's call them alcoholics. Let's let's label it a psychological term so they can deal with it and cope with it. But I come to cast the devil out today. I come to tell you that there's something better than what you're dealing with, and there's something better than what the world is trying to call it to make you feel it is okay. Can I tell you? It is not a complex. It is not an addiction. It is not a disorder. It is not an obsession. It is not love. It is called sin. And if you want to deal with it, you've got to deal with it head on. And when he comes in the middle of the front door, you've got to shut that door in his face and say, my house is not for sale. If you rename the sin, you'll rename the preacher. When you rename the sin, we'll change the names of the preacher. We will victimize those that preach conviction. Now when we hear the truth preached and feel conviction, we will condemn the preachers and call it hate speech. Why? Because the truth is, the Bible says in the last days that there will be preachers that will preach the gospel and receive persecution when they preach the unadulterated truth. And I got news for you. I'm not the only preacher in the room. Preacher does not follow ordination. Preachers follow salvation. Every single person in this room is a preacher. Whether you like it or not, you're preaching something good or you're preaching something bad. But there is the reason why the cross is on a hill because there's no neutral ground where Christ died. You cannot stay in your sin and continue in your sin and think you're going to make it. 
Oh, I'm going to hit the devil square in the face right now. Some of y'all saying, well, this message ain't for me. I've already dealt with the devil. But there's somebody sitting beside you that needs your praise right now, needs your intercession right now. There's people in this room and people that are watching that are bound and addicted to lust, whether they're heterosexual or homosexual. They need delivered. And there is a devil loose, but there's also some preachers loose. And we're ready to wreak havoc on the day. I need some fathers in this room. I need some mothers in this room. Go to bat for the children. Amen. Oh, I can say, I, I, and I did, I said, listened to the whole service, mm-hmm. and it's called A Strong Man is in the House, yeah. and it was fantastic to sit at the beginning of their service. What was so cool is they're in Georgia. They have several um, billboards that they've had put up for, and it was it it kind of looks like the pride flag, but it's not. It's got an additional color in it. And that's and they're talking about reclaiming the rainbow. But it says proud to be. Oh, what was it? It was proud to be delivered. It, it, proud to be delivered dot com. Yeah. And it was all about people's testimonies. And it's just incredible that they were they they shared about the stacks of people who wrote in to tell them about how they were lost in the homosexual. Yeah. And if you watch the. If you watch the full sermon, it's, I mean, the clip is what, hour and a half or something. I mean, it's a really mm-hmm. long, but they've got testimony after testimony. At the beginning of the came, service. Yeah, people who came out of the homosexual lifestyle. And and he even points <clears> out <throat> after they, they give up, uh, they get up and uh, give their testimony. He said, I, I hear a resounding theme. Mm-hmm. It's when they were children. Yeah. These things happened in their youth. Yeah. And so, yeah, we are, we are passionate about protecting children. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting too, as we were as we were watching it, and I was kind of laughing at, not laugh. I'm not mocking. I I chuckle because um, of the various styles of churches, and we travel oh, yeah. around. We go to a lot of different churches. Yeah. And we see all different styles of <laughs> services and worship music, and and this. Well, it's and, the first thing I said. I want to go and visit his church. Yeah. I, I want to just go and be a part of yeah. that congregation and just feel the energy because there's energy there. Oh yeah, and it's <laughs> it's it's in, it's funny to me because I've been to a couple churches like that in the past where, um, and they're generally you know inner city churches where the mm-hmm. the, the 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 worship team is part of the message. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they got that guy on the keyboard who, who just kind of adds that background Every, music the whole time. <laughs> you know, you heard that at the end where he starts coming in with the organ and it's it's just I think it's I think it's phenomenal. But yeah, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. No, but it's you know, not. But you know what? Let's 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 be done with these arguments about worship style and, you know, petty arguments about, you know, what they these these minor things the, the the christians tend to major in the minors yeah and that's what we let divide us and yeah. we can't don't major, let these things don't major divide in the minor us. things is he speaking truth absolutely 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 <laughs> speaking of truth we'll go to break and we'll come back with micah beckwith pastor micah beckwith is gonna speak some truth hey friends We love hearing from our listeners who tune into our podcast every week. We're always looking to connect with our community and create content that truly resonates with you. If you have a suggestion or topic you'd like us to cover, you can now write us at fearlessfeatures.org forward slash mailbox. 
Your support and encouragement mean the world to us, and we couldn't do this without you. Thank you for allowing us to share our passion and knowledge with you. Link to the mailbox is in the show notes. Okay, we're back. So one of the things, too, that I, I remembered about that pastor is at, towards the end of his message, he talks about how the street preachers oh, yeah. are the ones who are really going to take this come on the scene and share the gospel i think i think through the home stretch and and you think about why that is it's because as we talk about so when you come to see dysphoria (laughs) (laughs) september 29th in noblesville when you come to see dysphoria um you're going to hear this theme because we talk about why is the church silent on these big social issues that Mm -hmm. are destroying society yeah because a lot of the churches, because they've gotten fat and happy. Well, and they believe the lie <clears> that, they, they, yeah. that they've been told that you can't talk about those things because it's political. Right. And they're afraid if they do that they'll lose money. Yeah. And which, when you think about it, um, what happened What happened during the lockdowns, right? How many of the churches capitulated mm-hmm. because they don't believe the scriptures that they're supposedly teaching Mm -hmm. the churches that didn't capitulate read the scriptures and went back to their respective governors, their respective County health departments and said, you don't have the authority to Mm -hmm. shut down the church. That's the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the churches capitulated and went, well, we want to be good neighbors and Romans 13 and we have to obey the government. No, the, the government is put there for your good. And when the government is being tyrannical and ceases and, to be and good, ceases to be good, they cease, they cease in their authority. Oh, by the way, read the constitution. We, the people, mm-hmm. we are Caesar. Yeah. And Not, Micah's going to talk about this. Yeah. He's going to talk about this. So, so. We're, we're excited to have a constitutionalist. So Micah, he is a pastor, an entrepreneur, a teacher and constitutionalist with over 17 years of service in central Indiana. From pastoring churches to owning multiple businesses and running for Congress, as well as Lieutenant Governor of Indiana, Micah has extensive experience in leadership and is now dedicated to training up the next generation. Micah is committed to defending true constitutional values and ensuring a future where freedom and liberty reign. All right. So you're going to hear a lot from Micah here. So let's get started. I'm Micah Beckwith. I'm a pastor here at Life Church in Noblesville, Indiana. Uh, I never really set out to be a pastor. I grew up in, in Hillsdale, Michigan, where Hillsdale College is, learned a lot about the Constitution. My my parents loved America, they, but they loved the Lord more, and so kind of instilled in me a biblical worldview. And I was probably going to go to Hillsdale, but it was a little too close to home and ended up going to Huntington in Indiana, in Huntington, Indiana, and uh, met some uh, amazing people there, one of being uh, my wife, and she's from Noblesville. So when we got married, I ended up moving here and the Lord led me into actually really kind of a weird story. I, I played in a Christian band for two years uh, professionally. So I toured the country doing uh, really ministry. And that's kind of how I got into ministry. Uh, but the, I never thought that that was my end goal. I always thought I was in business and I didn't, I was an economics major and, uh, and I, and I like politics. I, my parents were involved in the political world. And so I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe at so, some point I'll jump into public service, but, uh, never thought full-time vocational ministry. And then the Lord just opened that door and led me into training up next generation worship leaders. So I started a ministry called Sing Love Worship. We trained students how to, how to play drums, guitar, keys, how to sing, but really from a heart, uh, perspective like David's, like how to be at passionate worship leaders. And it was loving it. It was growing. And then 
it was about 2018, I started recognizing something that really was concerning all these students in my ministry. And we had probably at the time, uh, 80 people in our school of worship. I had to probably another 20 or 30 that would travel, uh, and go on the road, uh, with, um, with the band and, and these kids just were coming back. They were telling, uh, telling me things like, Oh, uh, like you can identify as a, you know, a little boy can identify as a little girl or it's okay to be, um, you know, uh, a furry or like, you know, or like, Hey, communism actually could probably work if it's just done right. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? How did this, how did we get to this place? So it was, it was then when I said, okay, we need to, head this off. Like, this is not good. And then I jumped into uh, a U.S. congressional race because at the time, my current representative was not doing a good job uh, representing faith and family values. Uh, She voted for the House Equality Act, which actually does the opposite of of bringing equality into our culture. It it begins to uh, criminalize those who want to stand on biblical values and say, hey, we believe marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, We we love the gay community, but we're not going to we're not just going to go along and say that, that that lifestyle is a good lifestyle. It began that that would have criminalized churches and Christian schools from being able to stand on God's word. And when she voted for that, I just was like, I can't sit back anymore. And it was like the Lord just thrust me into the the, the U.S. congressional race. Um, she ended up coming out saying she was retiring. She was one of in the tw- in 2020. She was this big wave of Republicans that stepped away. And then it opened up to a primary and I was off to the races with 15 other candidates in there and nobody thought I had a shot. I was just this little student worship pastor that, you know, understood that God still has a great plan for America, but we have to return to those constitutional values that were rooted in Judeo-Christian values. And, and, uh, I got out there and knocked on a lot of doors, even during the pandemic. Like it was, I wasn't, was not slowing down at all. And, uh, and we ended up taking third. We didn't win, but we took third. But it increased my platform. And I think what the Lord is doing is he's just, he's saying, get out and speak truth and let me deal with where I lead you. And that's what I've been doing the last two and a half, three years now is just speaking truth, telling people what does God's word say? What is What did our founders know to be true? Uh, what does the constitution say? And let's adhere to those values. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, God's, we're winning. I mean, I really believe this. Truth is winning. And how I know that is because the other side is trying to shut us up at all costs. And they wouldn't be doing that if they had truth on their side. Where does your background, your love for history and passion for it come from? You know, I don't know. I just know that at a young age, my family was very much instilling in us kids that America is a special nation. And I think just kind of hearing that, okay, American exceptionalism, what does that mean? You know, you start to read the stories of, you know, Samuel Adams and uh, Benjamin Rush, and and you start seeing that these guys that they love the Lord, they they knew God, you know, the, um, the Daniel Webster's, uh, like the, these guys that were th- that knew truth and they were unapologetic. They were, you know, Patrick Henry's, give me liberty or give me death, right? These, these passionate, uh, godly men who said it's right to stand for liberty. And if it costs me my life, I'm still going to, I'm going to stand for liberty. And, and so that's really kind of been instilled at me at a young age, which is one of the reasons I'm, I'm concerned for the next generation because that's not being instilled in the, in students. They're being taught that America is an, is an evil nation. American exceptionalism is something to be mocked and not celebrated. 
uh, like colonialism and imperialism and all of these things like, you know, that that really if you actually study history and know the context of what was going on, you, you get to see that, no, God's hand was on this nation. And our founders, made, while they made mistakes, yes, they were they set up something so amazing that this world has not ever seen before. And now we're being told we should just throw it all away and and start over and go down a path of globalism and communism and 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 it's just it's it's asinine, it's foolish, and I'm not gonna I'm not it's not gonna be on my watch that mm-hmm. we're gonna let that happen. So thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. No, I'm just very thankful and appreciative for people who um actively get in the battle in in and doing what they feel like the Lord has called them to and the area that you've been gifted in mm-hmm. to to use your voice and your gifts and your platform um to uh, for a better society for a better way of life for others yeah and I, I'm I'm shocked and appalled frankly at even the Christians that I've that I've seen and heard who have criticized him even lately because he's he's a full-time pastor mm-hmm. and he's he's running for it's very interesting we need to have him on specifically to talk about constitutionally why he's he's actually running for lieutenant governor and this is an odd thing uh it shouldn't be odd but it is odd especially in Indiana because usually the lieutenant governor is sort of this hand-picked you know, by the presumptive nominee of mm-hmm. the party. And he's actually campaigning for this. And uh, we, I want to talk to him about why. It has been like a hand grenade going <laughs> yeah. off within the Indiana GOP, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Because, you know, you're disrupting their power structure. Mm-hmm. And, but I've, I've, I've seen a lot of, seen and heard a lot of supposed Christians saying, you know, he should just stay out of it. You know, you Christians just stay out of it. And see, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And he's going to talk about that uh, here in a minute about this supposed separation of church and state. So here's uh, Micah again. Well, tell me, why is the Constitution so important? Because it is the law that governs those who govern. It's not the law that governs the people. So we, the people, are sovereign. That's what the Constitution strictly lays out. It's we, the people are the king. And that's a concept that is so foreign to a lot of governments, to a lot of nations throughout world history. The people weren't the sovereign, the sovereign, the king was the sovereign, the queen was the sovereign. Um, and, and so when our founders said, no, we're going to, we're going to actually flip this on its head and it's going to be, we, the people, and then we're going to craft a constitution then which holds those who govern accountable. So it's kind of a three tiered authority. So it's us, Constitution and then the politicians. Mm-hmm. Then the politicians set laws that then keep us all in the parameters of of a good uh, society, a good and decent society. And then we, as the people, we adhere to the laws because we we rep, we have representatives that created those laws, but they have to maintain uh, the boundaries of of the Constitution. Twenty twenty exposed a lot of political leaders that have no clue what the Constitution actually says. Mm-hmm. When you had, uh, I think it was Governor Murphy out in New Jersey, he was on Tucker Carlson's show, and literally Tucker asked him, he said, "You're shutting everything down. You're shutting churches down, but leaving liquor stores open." Mm-hmm. Constitutionally speaking, how do you how do you justify that? 
And he literally said on national TV, he said, well, Tucker, that that's above my pay grade. I don't really deal much with knowing what the Constitution says. And I'm thinking, no, that's exactly what you're hired to do is to uphold and defend the Constitution. And yet we have political leaders that think that that's some complex issue. It's not complex. Literally, the Constitution fits in my pocket, in the in my jacket. And you can read it, seven articles, you know, 27 amendments, makes it very clear what the government can do, but more importantly, what the government cannot do. And, and that's, it's, be- it's beautiful. And, and I really admire the guys who crafted the Constitution. Uh, James Madison was the father of the Constitution. And literally the three branches of government, uh, he pulled that right from Scripture. Isaiah 33, 22, uh, it says, The Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our judge, and the Lord is our king, and is he who will save us. And he saw that written out in Isaiah, and literally he said, that's it. That's what we have to, that's what we have to do. We have to pull the three branches of government right there. That's how God governs. So that's how we should govern. And, and so he set them up. We have the legislative, judicial, and the executive branch. But he pulled it right from scripture. Um, you know, you go back and you look at, uh, um, Moses and his father-in-law Jethro when, when they were wandering the wilderness and Jethro said, Hey, Moses, you can't do everything on your own. You've got to set up uh, rulers, representatives over the thousands, over the hundreds, over the fifties, over the tens. Well, thousands would be federal government, hundreds would be state government, fifties would be county government, and tens would be city government. Our founding fathers took exactly what God God led Moses to do, and they just implemented it here in America. And so all of what we live in, this beautiful republic that we have, was crafted not out of chance. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't just they got lucky guesses. It was literally they looked to the laws of nature and nature's God to design our our structure of government. And that's why it's lasted 235 years. And and we we're here now saying, well, it's really not that exceptional. No, the average lifespan of a constitution in, in world history is 17 years before a revolution takes hold and then overthrows that that constitution or that form of government. And yet we're coming on 235 years and we've had some perilous times, civil war. We had, you know, it's been, our republic's been hanging by a thread for sure, but I believe because of divine providence and only divine providence that we're here. And so it's our duty as a people to say, okay, we got to steward this and carry it on, carry it on for the next generation. And, and as a pastor now, uh, the Lord has really convicted my heart that it is the church's job to steward this nation. And if the church doesn't do it, then we will not see liberty and freedom secured for our children and children's children. Thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. Uh, all I kept that well, and and it was interesting because you know we've been we've been going through the Bible, the, the one year Bible, and you know Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and it was interesting when we when we were going through Exodus. So what he was talking about with um, Moses's father in law Jethro, mm-hmm. that's in Exodus eighteen, and you can read read that story and that account, and that's exactly what we said. You can you can see where the the divisions came about Mm -hmm. uh, to govern the people um but but more so when he was talking about the constitution and um just our founding fathers there was a a, there's a great book that i i started reading um not too long ago the american story and it's by um david and tim barton and they're excellent They've, they've got the most um the collection of our historical documents and so it's in just phenomenal resource wallbuilders.com it's a great resource to go and learn about american history but one of the things in the book that they talk about is the golden thread 
um, of America. And that golden thread is the Lord, the the, the providence of the Lord and, mm. and his grace to us. So yeah. that's, that's kind of my thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. You know, and I remember <laughs> when we interviewed Rob McCoy and we didn't, uh, we didn't use this part of the audio when we uh, introduced him a few weeks ago, but he talked also about that the notion of the church being tax exempt is actually a biblical thing too. And I don't remember the reference for it. Somebody could probably um, spout it off to us, but um, I'll have to go back and check. But everything, virtually everything about how our nation was set up, uh, it's it's all based on, well, it, it is all based on Judeo-Christian values uh, taken from the Mosaic law. Mm -hmm. That's how we get the, the, the fundamental basis of our law. And what we're seeing, you know, going back to the, the uh, article that we read at the very beginning about this lawlessness that we're seeing spread rapidly. It's not just in Portland. It's, it's in LA, it's in Chicago, it's in New York. It's certainly in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm where yes we have a constitution but they don't care and even when the executive branch branch for example gets slapped down or in one of the administrative agencies like the FBI right they have violated the constitution well where's the where's the penalty they get slapped down by a judge and does anybody go to jail no they just so they come back and they and they do it anyway and who's going to stop them mm-hmm. so the, the Constitution is for a moral people, and that's why we're starting to see it fracture because we have become wholly corrupt as a society. Mm-hmm. When we're a lawless, a lawless people, well, th- then they just don't care. They don't care anymore. Well, interesting. While you're just sitting there talking and, and saying maybe somebody with this tax exempt yes. thing, <laughs> oh, I, I, I did a quick search. You've got you're, you're the person that's going to. I'm the first. I'm the person. So per, it says perhaps the beginning of tax exemption for religious purposes began in Ezra's time. Uh, quote: It shall be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll upon any one of the priests, Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants or other servants of this house of God. That's Ezra 724. Um, there was also heavy taxation under Persia and Nehemiah's day. I'll leave a link to this. It's it's the Bible gateway, all about tax. And you guys can and read up on it because I know I'm going to. Okay. I'm going to print it out and read it. <laughs> all right. So last uh, segment here with Micah. Now he's going to specifically talk about something called the Johnson Amendment. And, um, this was, this was a big part of things that we researched. We, we couldn't actually fit this, this whole discussion into dysphoria, which you should come to see September 29th in Noblesville. (laughs) Um, couldn't fit this into dysphoria. There's an awful lot in dysphoria, but the Johnson amendment discussion is something that this is the, one of the subjects that the grassroots organizations really need to take, take up and start ram ramming home is educating people educating on what's, people on, what's on, really happening. on how uh how unconstitutional the johnson amendment is and it's been in place since i don't know since the 60s and it has never really been challenged and it needs to be challenged mm-hmm. and it should be the church that challenges it mm-hmm. this is this is how satan has muzzled the church mm-hmm. but you've got a whole generation of pastors who don't want to get involved, but we're, so Mike is going to talk about this here. How much role does 
the church, especially, what is their role? If you were to speak to other pastors, what should they be doing? Because we have this this fallacy of separation of church and state. Yeah. First, can you speak to that? Yep. And then move into... And why won't churches speak? That, yeah. That's... that's that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's multiple points to that question. So first of all, why won't churches speak? There has been... A, I would say a multi-pronged approach by the devil and, and the, the movement of darkness, the demonic to silence the voice of the church when it comes to governing. Um, the, the, this myth about separation of church and state, it's, if you go and you study the establishment clause, nowhere in the first amendment, which is the establishment clause, nowhere does it say the church is not supposed to have a role within the state. It says the state is not supposed to influence what the church does. Thomas Jefferson is the one who coined the term in our context, separation of church and state. Now, Montesquieu and some of these philosophers that he studied in, throughout world history, John Locke, they, they all talked about this idea of separation of church and state. But in our country, Thomas Jefferson really latched onto that. And th- that phrase that the modern context for separation of church and state, many people will say, well, Thomas Jefferson pointed to separation of church and state. Well, the context in that was there was a pastor in Connecticut over at the Danbury Connecticut Baptist Association, and he wrote to Thomas Jefferson in the early 1800s, and he said, Mr. Mr. Jefferson, I, I'm afraid that like what we were dealing with under King George, under British rule, that the state isn't really going to give me the freedom to preach the word of God the way that I see it. And Thomas Jefferson wrote back, it's a small letter, three paragraphs, and said, you know, Pastor, you have every right to do what you're doing. There's a wall of separation of church and state, and the state cannot come in and tell you how to preach. We've set that up here in this new republic. And, and so that got twisted, though, in the 1940s by a Supreme Court justice. His name was Hugo Black. He was uh, a racist KKK supporter, uh, hated, hated the Catholic faith, um, hated, hated the black community. And uh, he, was, he was appointed to the Supreme Court justice and became, uh, he became chief justice. And, and they, they heard a case in the early 1940s, and he pulled, pulled out Thomas Jefferson's phrase, warped it, and said, because Thomas Jefferson said this, he must have envisioned separation of church and state with the Constitution. Now, keep in mind, this is an unofficial letter. This is not the Constitution. It's not the Declaration of Independence. Keep in mind, Thomas Jefferson didn't, isn't the author of the Constitution. The father of the Constitution is James Madison. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, but James Madison is, is accredited for being the father of our Constitution. So what the Supreme Court justice did in the 40s, he said, oh, because we have a founding father here who even mentioned this phrase, he totally took it out of context, but he said, because he said separation of church and state, now we obviously have the legal grounds to say, well, the church can't have any say within the, the, the government. Now, fast forward to the 50s and the 60s, you have Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon B. Johnson was a racist. He was from Texas, did not like uh, uh, the black community either. And it was the church in Texas that stood up to him and opposed him uh, almost every step of the way. So he had a chip on his shoulder. So he authored something called the Johnson Amendment. He pushed that through Congress. The Johnson Amendment makes it illegal for 501c3s, for nonprofits, to be quote unquote, politically engaged from endorsing candidates, uh, funding candidates. So he, he basically tied the hands of nonprofits, but specifically the church to make sure the church does not get involved in politics. Why? Because the church was not his 
was not his friend. Now, I'm going to say that it's really not hard for churches to be politically engaged. Um, we still have every right as nonprofits to speak out, to address issues. To, we, just, we just can't endorse candidates and we can't, um, we can't fund campaigns. Now, our founders, when the early church was in the, the early uh, stages of our republic, pastors were absolutely telling their candidate or their congregations who to vote for. This was, it was not uncommon for pastors to get up and have election day messages to say, these are the candidates to vote for that adhere to God's word. These are the candidates that you don't want to vote for because they don't adhere to God's word. So what we do at, at the church we're at, we get up and we say, guys, here are the candidates. And these are the ones that adhere to God's word. And here, here are the ones that don't. And if you want to vote biblical values, vote the ones that adhere to God's word when it comes to how they're going to govern. Um, remember, the way that the devil and his, and his uh, forces lose this is by speaking truth. What does Jesus say in John 8, 32? He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So how does truth proclaimed? It's spoken. And one, the Lord hit me a few years ago. He said, Micah, you're made in my image. And I knew that. I mean, we all know that we're made in the image of God, right? That's what Genesis tells us. And, and uh, But he said, Micah, you're made in my image. And how do I do anything? How do I move? How, where's my power come from? And I said, I mean, you're God. I don't know. Like, what, where does your power? He said, go and look at, go study this. And so I did. And I came across a passage in Hebrews. Hebrews 1.3 says he sustains all things by the word of his power. Okay, so all of his power is wrapped up in his word. How did he create the world into existence? There was no, there was no earth, and then he spoke it into existence. There was no universe. He spoke it into existence. When Jesus was healing people, he was speaking it over them. He would speak things to be. When, when the storms were, were, were raging and he calmed the sea, he spoke it into existence, the calmness and the peace. It spoke, and the Lord said, that's the key, is you have to speak it out. And what's, you know, what's happening in the church world, I just, I, I shake my head. I'm perplexed because the church has been muzzled. Their mouths have been closed out of this idea that, well, we can't speak on politics. We're not allowed to. It's illegal. And I'm like, no, it's not. You're absolutely, even if it was illegal, you're, you're supposed to speak out God's truth no matter what. So if the church doesn't open their mouth and declare truth, audibly for those around them to hear, whether it's on social media or in at your work or in your schools or at your home, then we will lose this battle. But the moment the church begins to collectively open our voices and in unity, unified around God's word, the devil will instantly, his kingdom will begin to crumble. And, and he knows that. And that's why he's silencing the church because he's like a, he's like a cornered, uh, a rabid animal and he knows he's in trouble and that's why he's lashing out. He doesn't, it's funny to, to look in the last couple of years, 2020, 2021, 2022, they've gotten a lot more bold in just saying, this is who we are and this is what we're doing when it comes to clamping down on freedom of speech and freedom of thought. They don't want, they didn't want to do that. They have to do it because the truth is beginning to expose what's being, what's being said uh, in the world of lies. Mm -hmm. And the light is beginning to expose the darkness. So, so the church needs to speak. Absolutely. To speak. Amen, brother. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Mm -hmm. Love it. And, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot because we have encountered churches that are like Micah's mm -hmm. that speak out and they, uh, they are 
unafraid to speak on these subjects, but we've encountered far more on a regular basis that still cower and Mm -hmm. they, you know, you hear all of the excuses. Well, we're not an activist church. Well, we don't do politics. We're not getting involved. We're not getting involved. You should come and see Dysphoria on September 29th. <laughs> you are just going to beat that no, drum. I, I am because this is heavily, heavily it is addressed important. in it- Dysphoria. And I tell you what, if you find yourself butting heads with church leadership, right? You, listen, you can't force people to do things, right? Mm-hmm. You can encourage church leadership to come out of their little safe spaces and get involved, right? You're in a battle, start acting like it. But if they refuse... You know what? Church leadership is not the church. The church is the body of Christ. Absolutely. So if they won't speak out, then you speak we out. We the people. Yeah. <laughs> and let them let them have a, you know, have have an issue with you about it. But um it's it's up to us as Christians to be in every sphere of influence in our culture and to speak up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting we're talking about the churches that they get involved, churches that don't. And I just finished uh, George Barna's new American Worldview Inventory 2022 2023. Mm-hmm. And sadly, so this is the report on the state of worldview in the United States. That's what he studies, and it's all statistics. And they have, I don't, I don't remember how many thousand they they do across all different denominations and, mm-hmm. and peoples that they that they interview. Um but the sad thing is there are only 37% less than half of lead pastors in America have a biblical worldview mm-hmm. and understanding. So you know that we're we're slightly in trouble, and that's why it's important for you to find a pastor who has a strong, biblically-based worldview, and it's not about feelings. Mm-hmm. It's not about how does it make me feel when I go to church. It's about sharing the truth of the gospel. Here's an interesting concept. Maybe the Lord's calling you to disciple a pastor. Uh, you know, you never know. Maybe he's calling you to be part of church leadership, what part of a board of elders yeah. or something like that, where you can influence absolutely pastors that have gone astray or mm-hmm. that are just not solid on these things. Hold, and, hold them accountable. And be the strong man, strong woman in their life and and help to strengthen their resolve. It's better when we work together. Yeah. It's unity. Do you have anything else? No, I think that's about, I hope you guys aren't overwhelmed. There was a lot of sort of informational, educational going on here today. Did we mention that there's a premiere of Dysphoria (laughs) coming up? Yes, there is. We hope to see you there. It'll be fun. Dress up, black tie event. I'm thinking I'm going to get myself a a glittery gown. I'm not sure. I don't like you because you're dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a good time. It is going to be fun. I mean, I I think it's, uh, and I say good only in the aspect of helping people to see and understand what is happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, across the board, reviews are starting to come in and I am really excited for whatever the Lord has planned Mm -hmm. and our plans here continue to change. So it's our first fundraiser event for fearless features for our filmmaking ministry. So please come out and help support. We are always looking for partners to help us do more. We already know what the next film is that the Lord is calling us to. Mm -hmm. We are excited to, but we need to raise the the funds for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. 
Yeah. We just know we're not moving forward until we can raise the necessary funds to actually produce that film. Right. It's been it's, a struggle to start with zero dollars, but we've watched the Lord. <laughs> we smile. Yeah. We smile and we're grateful and we see how the Lord moves. But there are other things that he's calling us to do. So we're well, we're going to follow the call. Yeah. And I'm sure that <clears throat> and and when you come to the uh, premiere <laughs> in Noblesville, September 29th. <laughs> Um, you'll hear, uh, you'll, that's where we're going to be talking a little bit about the vision that we're casting for fearless features yeah. and where we're going, why we're doing these, these fundraisers with dysphoria, because we have a bigger vision yeah. of more than just doing films and putting them out. We need to grow a, grow this ministry, grow the platform, grow the the capabilities to do more of this. Yeah, we thought we thought it was really cool with um, the mind polluters and just seeing how the Lord used it. And it, it's gone on to 145 different countries. We've seen transgenders just weep at the mm -hmm. gospel. I mean, we know that that it's impacting lives, right? We've seen legislation changed for betterment for schools and children who are going into the public schools to keep the obscene materials out of their libraries. Yeah. So, you know, the Kinsey Institute defunded. The Kinsey Institute, there are exciting things happening and yeah. the Lord is on the move. And, and so join us. Yeah, this is and this is not <laughs> the time to relax or to let off the gas. No. no. Full court press. Yeah. The days are short, my friends. We are running. The, the clock is running down. Yeah. So will the Lord find us working feverishly or will he find us sitting around waiting for him to pick us and up? And falling. Yeah. No. Just no. Okay. Not that's today. all I got. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. Thanks for listening through to the end. And be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And share this with your family and friends. And until oh, and don't forget to leave us a review. We love reading reviews. Until next time, march on, saints. Be filled with the Spirit. You're everyone's problem. I am dangerous. 